What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast Network. This is Out of Office, and this is our sixth podcast with my main man, Gianni, as always. Gianni, how are you today, sir? Rich, I can't complain. Back in the East Coast, was in the West Coast for the summer. I think we're getting the hang of this podcast thing. We are. We got a long way to go, but I'm excited with the guests we've had. I'm excited with the conversations we've had. Not excited summer's over, I'm not going to lie, but... uh this conversation we're having today, I think this is um, this is a good distraction. It's somebody that I find incredibly inspiring, incredibly motivating, and you know, I think I think you will really enjoy some of these stories. And you know, I know if I was able to listen to people like him when I was your age, shit would have made me want to like jump through the walls. You know what I mean? Run through brick walls, exactly. Yeah, he's that kind of guy. So, without further ado, let me introduce to you guys the co-founder of Marquee Jets, best-selling author, part owner of the Atlanta Hawks, motivational speaker, so much more, father, husband, friend of mine, and I think two-time champion of my Guts Fantasy Football League, Jesse Itzler. What's up, my man? Welcome to the podcast. Rich, great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Man, it's a pleasure to have you on. So we're Gianni, so you understand, me and me and Jesse have been friends for 20 years now. And as I've gotten older, I've started realizing 20 years doesn't even take you into your childhood, which is scary, right? You can tell someone you've known them for 20 years, but they didn't know you as a kid. Right, it's crazy. Yeah. But we met through fantasy football. Um, and Jesse, I'll tell you, part of like the excitement around your life and um, the, the many things that you did for, quote unquote, a living... Really, I always gravitated towards it. Um, it's part of what I believe makes up our business, being able to have our hands in so many different things and be inspired to do so many different things, but still to put your all into it and manage it. Seems like that's kind of been the overarching theme to your professional life in general. Did you have an interest as a kid in just being successful or was there a passion you wanted to chase? I just love newness, man. I was addicted to newness and adventure. I love challenges and I didn't want to miss anything. I still don't want to miss anything. I say yes to everything, Rich. I mean, I don't want to, I, I feel like I'm, I'm 52. I'm, I'm on earth for, I don't know, hopefully 30, 40 more years. And I just want to get everything out of it. So I had that passion as a kid, man. I just loved, you know, if every kid was outside, I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be doing what everybody was doing. And I also got bored easily. So I bounced around a lot from idea to idea, which, again, reemerged in my adult life when I bounced around from business to business. But bouncing around from idea to idea as a kid sounds like most kids, right? But you obviously continued with that mentality as you started to get like into school and out of college. What did you notice about yourself when you were in college that you obviously took a different path, right, than most entrepreneurs. I'm sure at some point in your life, you probably had to explain to your parents that what you were doing made sense, right, even though they thought you were crazy. What was it that was different um, when you got out of college in the climate at that time, trying to do so many different things and be an entrepreneur from now where it's most kids you meet? Well, when I went to college, my mom gave me some amazing advice. She said, you know, you don't know what you want to do yet. You're going to college. You had this amazing opportunity. And she told me to do everything. She said, like, if there was a speaker at the college, go listen to the speaker. Sign up for every intramural sport. Go to every event, every happening. 
And, you know, your 20s are really a great time to explore what it is you love. Well, to explore different things to figure out what it is you love to do. Your 30s is to figure out what that thing is and get really good at and almost perfect it. And your 40s and 50s are for cashing in. And I use my 20s to really as an exploratory time. You know, I was a kiddie pool attendant. I was signed to a record label. I sold celery and carrot sticks door to door. I had a t-shirt company. I cleaned trucks. I had a private jet company. I wrote jingles. I did, I mean, I did so many different things. And what I discovered was I like starting stuff and I like working for myself. I like being able to do things on my own terms, on my own timeline. And, um, you know, if, if I want something, the ball to be red and everybody wants the ball to be blue, I liked having the power of saying it's going to be red. So um, those are things that I learned sometimes the hard way and sometimes through trial and error and discovery and had a lot of egg on my face during my 20s uh, and my 30s and 40s too. Um, but, you know, in today's world, everybody thinks that instant everything, instant likes, more followers, more this, everything just like it just happens. And it does. For some people, they get lucky and they have, you know, hockey stick trajectory right to like rapid growth. But for 99.9% of us, we go through this trial and error period. And, um, and, that, and that was no different for, for me. And here's one thing I will say, Rich, before I, just before I give it back to you. You know, anybody that goes through a period where they have a big goal, they go through everybody, including you, KD, your whole team, everybody in the board, everybody. Gianni, too. You have a big goal. Um, it's the same process. Like you have this idea, you get really excited, and you think about, and then you know you you get excited around this idea. Maybe you do a little research, and then you commit to it. Okay, I'm going to start. Uh, I'm just going to take a marathon, for example. Take it out of business for one second. I'm going to run a marathon, and you have this big goal, and then you know you plan, you commit to it. And then you start to execute your plan. You go through what I call the grind, where there's a lot of self-doubt. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm not a great podcaster. Maybe I'm not a great agent. You know, you go through this doubt and everybody goes through it on their way to a goal. And during that grind, during that, you know, a lot, it weeds people out. It weeds people out. But if you keep going, at some point, you get a small win. Maybe you sign an agent. Maybe you get a bigger guest if you're a podcaster. Maybe you get your first sale. And then you start to believe, and it gives you momentum. And you keep going until you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you hit your goal. And in my 20s, what I learned by trying all these different things is there were times where the self-doubt beat me up. And I, and I convinced myself I wasn't good enough, and I quit. And then there were times where I'm like, well, you know what? Let me just keep going one day more. Let me just keep going forward. And then luck found me or a small win happened or I got that sale or someone took that meeting or whatever it was that gave me hope. If you have hope, you have everything. And that's what my 20s were for. So I got, I got two things to say to that. The first thing is you wanted to be a rapper in the 80s. So weeding out, the non-entrepreneurs and the ones that couldn't cut it, that happened even before you got there. You know, like back then, if you were going to take the leap and graduate American University and come from Roslyn, Long Island, if you weren't going to go, I would assume, into finance or to be a doctor or to be in corporate America, you already were 
like one in in the entire neighborhood that had the courage to do that right now you'd be hard pressed to find someone in that same neighborhood that probably wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or in corporate America. They want to do what Jesse Itzler's does. But as somebody that has been through this journey, right? Part of that self-doubt and the egg on your face, to me, that's the process. That's what I actually have loved as much as anything. But I do know that young people at least when I speak to them, and I'm not at the level of success that you are, when you when you start looking at the whole path in front of you, when I talk to some people when I'm younger, I think to myself, am I doing them the uh, uh, injustice by encouraging them when maybe they're not wired to be an entrepreneur like you or to have egg on their face? How do you manage that? You speak to so many young people, I assume. Yeah, well, the first thing I tell people in their 20s is not to lose their 20s. You know, like it doesn't, you still at 20 years old, be a 20 year old, even at 21 and 22. Not everybody can be Mark Cuban or jump right to Richard Branson. Like you have to go through that process. At least most of us do. So I, I always encourage people, don't give up your 20s. Nothing is worth giving up your 20s. Well, Rich, wouldn't you take everything you had right now? Other than, give everything back, except for maybe your kids, but definitely your kids to go back to like, be 20? I mean, yeah, yeah. In that, in, but you know what? Only in that I regret that I didn't take advantage of, of certain opportunities. Right. And I love being in my 20s. Listen, when I was coming up, I was writing songs, theme songs for professional sports teams, or I was trying to. I was 22 years old. This is right after I wrote the song for the Knicks. And the only way that, by the way, I lost $800 on that trade because the Knicks paid me $4,000, but it cost me $4,800 to write the song. So I lost eight hundred dollars. It on doesn't matter. Song. That song. No, I would. I would have paid him five grand. I would have paid you five grand to rap it right now. <laughs> I would pay the Knicks five grand to let me do the song. So I actually won. But um, but I was in this business where I would write songs on spec, and I would go and I would you know write a theme song for you know the Chicago Bulls, and then I would try to get to their somehow get into their office to play it for them, and either they would buy it or I'd be out the money that it cost me to produce it in the studio. I had no money. I had $118, so I couldn't write any more songs. So someone offered me $10,000 for 10% of all of my future earnings. I was 22 years old. And I'm like, I'll take it. Like I needed the money to go in the studio. But before I did, it, did that, a friend of mine, this, this girl, Melissa Katz, asked, said, you know what? Go see my dad and talk to my dad. He's a big you know, entrepreneur and He'll give you some advice. So I go see this guy named Lewis Katz. who owned Kinney Parking in New York. And he was a part owner in the Yankees and the New Jersey Nets at the time. And I saw Lewis. I'm 22 years old. And I walked in the door. And he said to me, Jesse, I would trade every single thing that I have in this life except for my kids for the one thing you have. And I'm like, me? I have $118, Lou. Like, what are you talking about, man? And I go, what's that? And he goes, youth the process. He said the passion. And, you know, and at 21, I was like, what is this guy talking about? He's got a gazillion dollars. He's an indoor swimming pool. He wants what I have. I'm sleeping. uh, By the way, I was sleeping on his daughter's couch at the time, sleeping on her couch. And, um, but now I understand that. And um, being an entrepreneur is people confuse passion. They think like, oh, you have to have passion for the widget that you're selling. Uh, And you do. But the real passion has to be for the process. 
And that's the grind that I'm talking about. Like not everything, that's what you sign up for as an entrepreneur. Not every day is a great day. You know, you celebrate the wins, but great entrepreneurs, great business leaders deal with the lows really well. You know, to be an entrepreneur, they don't teach this in school. You have to think like an entrepreneur. How does an entrepreneur think? Well, great entrepreneurs handle the lows really well because they have such a passion. Their passion to get to that end goal is so much bigger than the obstacles. The obstacles are almost obsolete. So the process is so important. So I totally understand what you're saying. And I'll say this, man, at 52 years old, I still have crazy, I still have an underdog mentality because I grew up as an underdog. And, you know, once you get rid of that chip, once that goes, it, it's, it's the beginning of the, of the downfall. So I still, you know, really obsess on the, on the process and I don't love down ticks. I don't love rejection. None of us do, but I'm not scared of it. I think every successful entrepreneur has to have that underdog spirit regardless of their upbringing because you almost have to compete these i mean uh, create these like inner battles right because when the process gets to that point where you win right you sell marquee jet did you not start your next business the next day if not the day before the sale went through yeah i had already started it before we sold it exactly because it felt probably like you got to keep going you can't stop Money will go. Opportunity will go. There's too many things out there. You've still felt that mentality. It feels like it has to be part of the DNA. That, yes. And then also, you know, the window that we have to be relevant and to make chess moves, it shrinks fast, man. So your 20s, you know, you're, you're figuring it all out. You're making, you're making connections. You're building your network. You're doing, you're, you know, you're learning, all that stuff. Then all of a sudden, you're 35, 40. That window, like, you know, it goes fast. And I, th- I got to be careful how I say this, but, you know, I think of myself at 52 right now. And, like, I'm thinking, like, man, how many 70-year-olds do I want to hang out with? How many 70-year-olds am I going skiing with? Or, you know, I just got an invited to a trip to go to Wim Hof's in Poland with 10 guys. And I was the oldest guy. And I'm like, how long am I going to get this invitation? How much longer? Like, that window shrinks so fast. You're in this sweet spot right now. Rich, you know, you got amazing players and you're in a great situation and you have a family, you know, but you said we've known each other for 20 years. Well, it went like this. Now project out 20 years. Now you're 70. Are you going to have the energy to do what you're doing now? Are you going to have, are you going to age out of the cool factor? You know, so I've always been really sensitive and aware of my relationship with time. And people think of relationships in terms of money, in terms of, um, I'm sorry, people like how's your relationship with your wife or your husband or your kids or but they don't think of their relationship with two things money what is your relationship with money and what is your relationship with time and i'm mega aware of this and i've said this before you might have even heard me say this but my mom my mom is my mom and dad are 90 okay if my parents live um another five years okay let's say they live to be 95 um i hope they live 10 let's say they live 10 years they live to 100 they live in Florida. I live in Atlanta. I only see them a couple of times a year. Let's say I see them twice a year. I don't have 10 years with them. I have you know, 10 to 20 visits with them. So when you start to think of time like that, you know, like in fact, I'm going to see my parents because of that tomorrow, it creates insane urgency. So as an entrepreneur, 
the, the number one thing that you can have other than urgency is figuring out the speed. How do you get from A to B the fastest? So I've always operated in, under like, I want to do it now and figure it out as I go. I want to get my foot in the door and figure it out as I go, you know, and I want to figure out how to get to A to B the fastest. Like, how do I accelerate this? How do I speed it up? So when I finished Mark, you know, Marquee Jet, it was like, I don't have a year, man, to go sit on a beach and celebrate. Now, I like to celebrate, but the reality is nobody cares who won the NBA championship five years ago. It's about this year. Nobody cares about Marquee Jet anymore. I don't care. I don't even, know, I don't even have a Marquee Jet hat or a Zico hat. I'm thinking about what's ahead of me. How do I maximize from 52 until 80, until this whole damn thing is over? And that's my mindset every day. I want to kind of get an understanding of how your mind works from where you go from like inception to execution, right? So, you know, you're a kid, you're into music, you're graduating school. So you're like, you know what? I can write jingles. So you're producing, you're in the studio, you're writing jingles, you're hustling, you're trying to sell them. And then you get some success in that. And then, I mean, I don't know the steps in this, but then at one point you're on jets, right? So you're on jets and you're like, I'm on jets all the time. Where does that thought come in where like, I can do this. I can start my own company. So it's a really good question. A lot of times I go to the end of the movie first, Gianni. So I'll go to like, you know, when we started Marquee Jet, which is a private jet company, my partner and I started, we had no aviation experience. We had no airplanes and we had no money. A year later, we had the largest private jet card company in the world. And when we started the company, we were immediately, my head went to the end of the movie. Okay, I went to the end of the movie. Like we had this amazing fleet. We're taking care of customers. We're flying the who's who of industry, pop culture, CEOs, athletes. And that was unwavering. I, we never negotiated that goal. Um, that never changed. The plot changed. The script changed how we got there. But that, that vision, the high vision never changed. I had a record deal before I, in my head before I had a record deal. I said to find the right record company. I had a book deal before I even had a book. I got rejected by 11 publishers before I wrote Living with the Seal. 11 publishers said there is absolutely no way we're going to publish this book. And then it was the number one bestseller. It's always like, I believe in myself. I have this idea. It's an unwavering conviction to get to that goal. And then nothing's going to stop me. It doesn't always work, but that's always the same process throughout the entire journey. Always. And then as soon as I can hire afford to hire people, you know, that can help me with this cause. I do. If I can hire my weaknesses, I do. And as soon as I can get to a position where I can scale it fast. So I start really small. I have a big idea. Obviously I start really small, like in my dorm room, you know, basically, but as soon as I have some momentum, I try to scale it as fast as I can. And that's always been the process, but allow me to just say one thing. If they would have said to me, Gianni, when I started Marquee Jet with my partner, you're going to need FAA approval, Department of Transportation approval. You're going to have to build the sales force, get customers, build an infrastructure to take all of these reservations. I would have been like, Johnny, I was a kiddie pool attendant two years ago. What are you talking <laughs> about, man? You're telling me I got to get, what does DOT stand for anyway? Because that's what happened. But then I said, okay, well, we just say the first thing I needed was Department of Transportation approval. There's got to be a lawyer that does that, right? Let me get that lawyer. Okay, now I got the lawyer and we got that. What was the second thing? We need FAA. 
FAA, or let me get a lawyer that does that. Now we got that approval. And we'd start chopping down the cherry tree. So that, that's how it works. And most people look at it like, oh, shit, man, a private jet company? I, have, I don't know. What are you talking about? You know, but instead, we're like, no, 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 no. We go to the end of the movie, and then what's the, what's the one task at a time? You've got to break the big thing. It's too overwhelming unless you take it one step at a time. Another example, and then I'll shut up. When I started running, I could run, my goal was to run two miles. That was my goal. If I could run two miles without stopping from couch to two miles, I was a runner. Fast forward three years later, four, a couple of years later, I ran 100 miles. So nothing in my body changed. Same legs God gave me, same lungs God gave me. The only thing that changed was how I approached it and what I thought I could do. So I actually 50X'd my original goal. 50x. So imagine if you could 50x everything in your life by, you know, smashing your perceived limitations because the limitations we put on ourselves are self-imposed. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I'm, I love that you referenced um, running right after you referenced your success as an entrepreneur because I actually always saw you in two different ways. You know, like, Hearing you talk about the entrepreneur in you, it was so nice to hear you say what you just said. I have been living that way uh, for the last five years, which have been my most productive five years, and I have been explaining that same process to people after me now, which is visualize the end for sure, because it's like when you're a kid. You know, I needed during football season to choose a player every year that I wanted to be like. I had to wear his jersey. Craig James one year, Kenny Easley one year, LT one year. Then I would switch sports because without the thing, the end game, like what did I have to talk to other people about, right? Then the little wins along the way, um, that's the process. And you got to love that with your fitness and your working out, there's really no end game, right? You wanted to run two miles. Then you got to a marathon, which for most people is end game. Then you ran a hundred miles. Like why? What, what, what part of you is that? What itch is that scratching? Cause that, that seems different than an entrepreneur. That feels like as an outsider that maybe you're having an odd relationship with time. It's the same muscle that you exercise in entre being an entrepreneur and doing ultra endurance running or anything else. It's like, you know, um, when you get done running a hundred mile run, what was the, the first thing I said to my business partner? Cause he ran it with me the last hundred mile or we did it in October. We got to the finish line. I looked him in the face and I said, Mark, double the business plan, double the business plan, man. Because when you realize that you have so much more, all of us in our reserve tank, we just don't want to tap into it because it's uncomfortable. But once you go beyond what you think you can do, it's addicting. And you realize, well, if I ran, if I 50X my running goal, if I'm under indexing by 50X, what are the areas of my life am I under indexing in? So like, you know, if, if my sales quote at Marquee Jet was like 20 jet cards a month, guys, put me up on the board for 20 jet cards this month. Is that because with a little bit of effort, I could probably get that? Or should I be like, man, put me down for 40. Let me see what I'm made of. Let me, let me figure this out. Let me reset my limits. And what I love about and I, I, ultra running or anything like that is you realize you have so much more in your reserve tank. There's an old Japanese ritual called the Misogi. And the notion around a misogi is, I learned this from Kyle Korver, 
you do something one time so hard once a year that the benefit lasts the entire other 364 days. We're all wired for comfort, man. We live in routine. Get up, work out, go to work, spend a little time with your family and repeat. And routines are great, but routines can also be a rut. You can't get better doing the same thing every single day. Now, look, I thought I was operating at a high level. I sold a couple of companies, went to Zico, uh, Zico to Coca-Cola, Airplanes, Warren Buffett. It's amazing. And my life was great. Um, but a couple of years ago, I'm like, I'm on cruise control, man. And I don't have time to be on cruise control, you know? And so I really try to put things on my calendar that force me to dig into my reserve tank. And now we all have this extra gear. I'm not here to preach about, you know, um, but the way that you tap into it, the w surprisingly, it's the small things that you, that you do every day. Now, there's a famous quote that I love. How you do anything is how you do everything. How you do anything is how you do everything. So the first thing that I do is I try to be mega present. I try to be where my feet are. If I'm at soccer practice with my kids, I'm at soccer practice with my kids. I'm not looking at the stock market or think happenings in China or the NBA games. I'm, I'm with my kids. And if I'm at the opera, which I hate with my wife because she wants to be there, I am at the opera. So I try to be super present. The other thing that I try to do is I try to um, spend a time every day doing things that I want to do so I don't resent my wife or my boss or anyone else for taking away the things that I love to do. So I try to spend you know, at least an hour a day doing the things that I, I love to do. And what that does is it gets you in tune with your gut. So that's what I do, man. And that, that helps me in a weird way access this extra gear. You know, I don't feel rushed. I don't feel, you know, I try to be present and, um, and I don't negotiate my goals. That's, I mean, listen, I got to be, when I watch you on Instagram now, just because that's our world, but when I watch you live, I feel that, like, I know that's how you live, you know? And I, I've read, um, I read one of your two books and I've watched the challenges you take on and I, I truly live vicariously through it. I wonder though, it, how much it truly can relate to how you lived as a businessman, because when you were making um, Go New York, Go New York, yo, right? My favorite song ever. Then you get into Marquee Jets, then Coconut Water, then I'm sure a handful of other businesses, and you found monetary success, true monetary success. Did you think at that point this mindset kicked in, or did you have that mindset then? Because I think that sometimes when you've won a few of those races and you've accomplished a few of your goals then you kind of get this weird eerie feeling of like god did that mean anything like all that and this is how i feel and then you start really thinking about time a bit i know after kevin won the first championship he had a very mixed emotion you know part of him wanted to win the second one so desperately more than enjoying the first one like the same night then all of a sudden you've had a few successes in business and then like Corona happens, you know, and then the world shuts down. And at least from my perspective, I really had to like double down on what I felt like was important. And I love work. So I really wanted to put an emphasis on work and I put a lot into it. But I started now paying attention to some of these things that you are speaking about, paying attention to my 
kids when they're talking to me, putting my phone down, being present during any activity with them, being present when I'm watching a movie. You know, I found myself on my phone during a movie, all the things that I enjoyed being taken over by me being on my phone, right? How much does having money allow you to do that? Because I would find it hard without money when you're coming up and you're trying to pay the bills and get success. Like, you can't focus on all those things. How do you tell young entrepreneurs that see you saying live for the moment, seize every moment, and you're running 100-mile marathons, but that's not how you were when you were in your 20s, right? Well, actually, I mean, I've always taken time for myself. So even when I was 20, when I was between the ages of 21 to 23 or 19 to 23, I slept on 18 different couches, you know, bouncing around friend to friend that put me up as I was trying to make it in the music business and start my own businesses or whatever. So, and I didn't have a lot of money. I, you know, it was just a, it was an interesting time for me. And, but I always took time for myself. I always invested in myself and bet on myself. So if there was a speaker, I would try to go see it. If there was an event, I would figure out a way to go. I really invested in my own personal development. If you're 21 years old, okay, and so the day you graduate college, let's say you're 21, till the day you retire, 71, 50 years, let's just say you took three hours a day for yourself. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, you must have nannies and this. No, I don't have fucking, no. I've been doing it since I'm 21 years old. So I take, and it's cumulative. I might take an hour in the morning to, you know, to run or um, read or go in the sauna or do nothing. But over the course of a day, I find a couple hours. If you do it from 21 to the time you're 50, you will save 56,000 hours. If you factor in like sleep and everything, that's like 10 years of time alone. So when people are like, oh, you've done so much, like how did you do it? Like I'm not Superman. I'm just really good with my time, you know, in, in this 24 hours. So I've been taking a certain amount of time every day for myself. And I'm telling you, Rich, it's super important and it has nothing to do with money. Is it easier now? Of course, of course, because I don't have the pressure of worrying about paying my rent or getting more brown rice on my plate. Of course, it's easier, but it's not, that's not an excuse to not invest in yourself. Take time. This is the thing, man. I have so many friends that went from 20 to 40 overnight. They went from 20 to 40. I look at them and I'm like, man, what happened? What happened? We used to play basketball. Like now they can't, you know, they can't move and they gave it all up. And all I'm saying is it's not worth it. It's not worth it. In my opinion, why can't you have it all? Why can't you have balance? Why can't, I don't even like the word balance, but why can't you have time for yourself, time for your family and time for work? You know, I worked 21 hours when we started Marquee Jet, but I still had time in the course of a day on the weekends at night carved out for me. And it's, it's, it's really important. Don't give up your 20s, man. I, and, you know, um, you can thank me later. <laughs> you can thank me later. They, they interviewed, they, they, I just read a, an interview, uh, a study where they interviewed, um, I don't know how many, but uh, it was a big sample pool of people with a liquid net worth of over $20 million. Okay, liquid. So these are highly successful, very, very incredibly wealthy people. And they asked them, what was their number one regret in accumulating all this wealth? And 70% of them said, the time that I lost with the people that I loved the most. 
So I'm like, wait a second. You sacrificed all of this to get this, and now you regret that. So I just think it's possible, and I'm not here to preach like about how to live your life, but I just think it's possible to have, to have it both. I don't like the messages of work, 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 work. Everybody knows that. You got to work hard. No shit. Like it's not going to happen without hard work, but it's, you know, there has to be some kind of balance. And, you know, I'm married. I have four kids. I have multiple businesses. Um, I'm training for a race called Ultraman right now. I train three hours a day. I work really hard. I'm with my, I'm with my, my um, wife all the time. I'm going to see my parents. I take trips with my friends. And the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because as you evolve, and Rich, I'm saying this specifically to you as a friend, okay? I'm not even talking to all the listeners. As you evolve, your life system has to evolve. So when I'm 21, when I'm, when I'm Gianni's age, I'm eating dinner at 11 o'clock in New York City because, and then I'm going out because that was my life. But now that I have four kids, I'm eating dinner at 5.30. My life has to change. It has to evolve. I can't live the life that I lived when I was 30 anymore. So as you evolve, you have to evolve. So, you know, someone in their 20s and 30s, they might have a completely different, different lifestyle, but it changes based on your work, based on your kids, based on what you like to do, based on your interests. You know, it, you have to take a little bit of personal inventory. And I think it's really important. I think people neglect that, man. They neglect it. They get caught up and then they have regrets. So, Jesse, I'm hearing some dope and a lot of common themes in what you're saying to, from what has led you to achieve such amazing success. So, first and foremost, it's definitely believe in yourself. And so, in the 20s, you also said work on your connectivity, work on your you know, audience, work on your, who you're making relationships with. And I believe that you know, that connect, connection people you already had is what allowed you to get marquee jets to be one of the premier jets in one year because your client roster was probably insane. Okay. Second, you love everything new since you were a little kid and coconut water in like 2006 was probably the newest, dopest thing ever. So you were just early. So it's just like themes throughout your life that have just, what I'm hearing has caused success. I would just add like in your 20s, you know, when I say connectivity, you never know the people that are in your 20s that you become friendly with and you're connected to in their 30s and 40s become people that are in positions of power. So when I wrote the Nick song, Go New York Go, Adam Silver just started working at NBA Entertainment. He's now the commissioner of the NBA, as we all know. We were friendly. And look, you know, I had to put my application in to become a minority owner in the Atlanta Hawks, and who has to approve it? Adam Silver. Now, I could have been a jerk to Adam Silver. We could have, you know, you just never know. 50 Cent was my intern before he was 50 Cent, you, you know? And 10 years later, he became 50. And, and um, funny story, I, he was on one of our airplanes, and I wrote him a note. I said, 50, this is Jesse Itzler. You're a guest on this, my airplane. I own this company. And the next day, he wrote into his contract, he would only fly on marquee jet. You never know in your 20s the people that you come across that will be in positions of power. The people that were hanging out were rich, you know, back, th back then. Look at rich now. You know, it's just every, so you just don't know. That's what's really important about when I say connectivity. It's casting a really wide web in your early years. 
and staying connected into your 30s and 40s. So as you, you know, you're not calling someone Adam Silver or Rich Kleiman out of left field, you're connected to them as they rise up the ladder on their journey too. And that, that's been a really part of accelerating my personal business journey because I can get people on the phone because we've stayed connected. Where did 50 Cent intern for you? I had a company called Alphabet City Records. So I was managing Run DMC and I shared a desk with Jam Master J. We shared the same desk. And he said, uh, one day I have this kid who's a boxer who wants to be a rapper and he needs to make some money, wants to learn the music, the, the business, the music business. We were doing theme songs for sports teams. Can he intern here? Um, I said, sure. He goes, in exchange, he'll help you write some theme songs and you give him as much, let him shadow you. So I did. So this guy would come in. He had no tattoos. He was a boxer, literally. I don't even know if anyone knows that. And um, 50 had a partner named Kaysan. I signed Kaysan. I'm like, this kid is so talented. Oh, my God. And um, I passed on 50. So that's why I'm not, in the a- I'm not an A&R guy. And, um, yeah, and we, he, he worked with us for a year and a half. He actually just put it in his book. He wrote about it in his book, which was really cool. I just bumped into 50 on a Delta flight, like um, maybe like six months ago. And I go, 50, I don't know if you're going to remember. He's like, Jesse? And it was, we spoke for like a half an hour. It was unbelievable. I haven't seen him in like 20 years. I want to know how 10 years, 20 years later, you and 50 are on a commercial plane. And <laughs> not- I know. I, know. I, still fly, I, still fly, I still fly commercial. I, I, um, again, the underdog mentality. I, I try to, uh, you know... I just try to keep it. My dad owned the plumbing supply house. Um, my mom was a teacher. And um, I don't know, man. I don't want to get too, fa- too fancy. Your dad was an inventor, right? Yeah. He, was a pl- he owned the plumbing supply house, and he invented, like, kind of drains and decorative faucets and stuff. He's like the guy from uh, Back to the Future with the flux capacitor. <laughs> Doc that's Brown. Like what my, yeah, <laughs> that's what my garage looked like as a kid in high school. So clearly the inventor side of you is from your dad and this this kind of speaker and, and uh, an inspirer that you are is from your mom who was in academics. How important is legacy to you? Um, I've, I've heard you reel off some things on this call that blew my mind, right? Like I didn't even know some of the things you've done and you're a close friend and I'm sure there's a myriad of more accomplishments. How important is legacy for you in this kind of relationship with time? Because um, the reason I ask is part of my 30s and 20s that you reference, I realized now I didn't really know shit. Um, I really believed in rainbows, man. You know, I really did. Like, I really thought there was something else. And then so many things have happened in our world the last few years. And I've gotten older where I start looking at things and go, damn, that didn't mean anything, right? None of that meant anything. So then you have to take an inventory, start to say, well, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of my time here. And what am I leaving behind? Like what is important um, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm no longer here? Obviously relationships, um, like you said, 70% of these successful men said they wish they spent more time with their children. So obviously relationships, strong family relationships that will go on and people will talk about the love that this family had. I think we all can do that, money or no money. Then you start thinking about what your accomplishments are, right? You have so many. 
Um, and there's so many more in front of you. I mean, have you climbed Mount Everest? Uh, not the actual mountain. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. No, most people hang up if you ask a question like that. So what is legacy to you? You know, I don't really think of it in terms of legacy. I think more in terms of regrets. And there's three kinds of regrets. So the first kind of regret is the regret that um, you can fix. So I have a bad relationship with my dad, let's just say. I can call him up and I can fix that, right? So I regret that, but you can fix it. The other kind of regret is a regret that you can't fix. Like I broke up with my girlfriend in high school. I wish I didn't do We can't fix that. You can't go back. She's married, you're married, like it just, it's a regret you're gonna have to live with. And the third kind of regrets are regrets that you can prevent. So let's just say, for example, I always wanted to climb Mount Everest, as you just said. You know, um, well, if you know that, and you know that if you don't do it when you're 70, you're gonna look back and be like, God, I wish I did it. Well, you can prevent it, go and climb it, you know? So the way I look at legacy is I look at it more in that third bucket of regret where what are the things that when, when my time is called, I want to look back and be like, man, I wish I did this differently or I wish I would have done this while I was still healthy enough to do it or, or able and capable enough to do it. So I really try to focus on, you know, what do I love to do? Who do I love to do it with? And how do I put more of that on my plate? So that's sort of how I'm going into the future, specifically as it relates to legacy. You know, I, I really just care about how I make people feel and um, not how much money I gave away. I mean, all that stuff, I checked the box in most of those areas. But the thing that I can really control that's really personal is, you know, how many people have I touched? And um, that's how I want to be remembered. I want, you know, if you went through my phone contacts and you called everybody, I want 10, you know, I want five stars. What do you think of Jeff? I want five stars as a friend, especially like this is a time during Corona. I'm taking inventory, Rich. Like who are the people that reached out to me? I'm taking inventory on the great co companies that have contacted me to see how I'm doing. I'm taking inventory on all of these different people that during this tough time have contacted me and I'm saying, am I doing that? I want to be remembered as a great human during this time. I want to be the, the son that checked in on the parent. I want to be the, the friend that called the friend. I want to be the business owner that called the customer. So this is the time where you can really stand out from everybody else just by checking in. And to me, that's the path to legacy that I try to, I'm trying to build organically, naturally, authentically. You know, and look, if you would ask me 10, 10, 20 years ago, man, it would have been about a whole different thing. You know, maybe I got a little softer with kids. I cry easily now. You know, I get emotional, man. Every story that comes on, and I, I'm fine with it. But um, it's a little bit different, man. When you hit 50, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, in 30 years you're looking at 80 right in the face. I'm staring at 80 in 28 years. You know, you start to think differently, and you start to think about like, you know, um, and I know I'm ranting. I've been in quarantine. For so long, I man. Love this. It's good to talk to a human. Like I'm, <laughs> to talk to humans again, it, it, it's unbelievable. But when I was in my 20s, I would go to the gym because I wanted to look good. I wanted to get girls. When I was in my 30s, I wanted to stay fit and be like, yeah, like I'm going to the gym. I'm to stay fit and strong, six pack. When I'm in my 40s and 50s, I want to stay alive. I want to fucking stay alive. Yeah. You know? And so you get these shifts, man.
you know, and because there, I always say this with my wife, the more you experience, the more you have to offer. Think about Rich. Think about where you were 20 years ago, okay? You just said you didn't know shit, you know, where you are now. Think of the, how battle-tested you are. You've been through wars, man. I mean, in business, you've had to make payroll. You had to make deals. You've lost deals. You've had egg on your face. You've had victories. You have an NBA ring. You know, you've had all these different things. So now think about how, how you, and you're doing it now through this platform, how you can advise and guide people and take all of these experiences and package them, you know? And I feel at this age, that I, I've had a lot of experiences on biz, in business, in running, as a parent, as a son of taking care, care of my parents who are getting elderly. You know, it's a whole different challenge and experience um, through mistakes, through victories, through charity. All of these different things allow me to have this conversation with you because I'm not talking about shit I read. I'm talking about shit that I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been through it, man. So- you, the, those battle wounds, like you talked about, and going through it, you said business. You're referring to. I'll I'll go as far as to say life. Like my, yeah. there was battle wounds in my marriage. There was battle wounds with friends. There was battle wounds with people that I was in business with, and you lose friendships over it, right? The battle Absolutely. wounds are are real along the way, um, which is why I find your relationship with your wife so incredible because. I mean, I don't mean this the wrong way, but there's she's more successful, right? She there's an argument that there that like for someone as much success as you, you look across the the bed and you have another entrepreneur with you. What did you have to do in your life when you got married? Because you guys got married in your forties, right? Early forties. Yeah, yeah. So, so what did I you sat- have to change about yourself at that point? Well, I had no idea what Spanx was or what Sarah's, anything about Sarah's business when we started dating. Um, we met, she was a customer of mine at Marquee Jet. We met at an event and, you know, we started dating, et cetera, et cetera. And I started learning, but literally a week to 10 days before our marriage, she sat me down and she said, um, I, you know, I have to tell you something um, that I don't think you know. And I said, what? She said, you know, I, th- I make a lot more money than you think I do. And I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and she started to open up a little bit about the success of her business and her company. And this is before she was on the cover of Forbes for being the, you know, the youngest female billionaire and all this other stuff that she, whatever. So I had no, you know, and I just started crying, man. And I was like, it couldn't have happened to a better person, you know, cause I would have never have known in a million years. And, um, you know, look, I wouldn't say that it doesn't have its challenges because it does or it did. Uh, we've been married for 12 years now. I'm just so happy for her. And when it's her time to shine, the, 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 the light shines for her. I'm her biggest fan. And when the, sh- when the light shines on me a little bit, she's my biggest fan. And that's the best way to pr- approach it. And, um, but I love how Sarah, Sarah's whole approach to money. You know, She always says it's fun to make, it's fun to spend, and it's fun to give away. And that's, she's not driven by money. Um, you would laugh if you saw the simplicity of our financial scheme. I mean, it's like we live a very simple, we have a lot in a very simple way. And, um, you know, as you get older, what's the one thing that 
all your friends, parents, um, Gianni, and you'll start to experience this too, have in common as, as you start to get older, you're going to see that most people do one thing. They downsize. As they get older, the first thing they do is they don't buy more yachts and this and that. They downsize. They want simplicity. They want this. It makes, it's crazy to me. The wealthiest guys that I know, as they get older, want to live the simplest life. But everybody else is fighting to get all the wealth. You know, until you get a swimming pool and, you know, the, 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 the filter breaks and the guy comes in and he says it's $10,000 to fix it. And you have no way to check it. You just say, okay, yeah. I'll give you $10,000. You know, he could say $20,000. All right, I'm not a pool fixing guy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm a capitalist. I'm all about making money and money is amazing. Um, but you're, a, like I said, your relationship around it is interesting. Gianni, if I said to you, man, I'm going to wire you $10 million tomorrow. I don't even know what I'd do with it. Right. So what are you working for? Most people don't even know what they would do with a check for five or $10 million. Like, how could you not know exactly what you want and what you, how could it even come into your life? How could you even manifest it if you don't know exactly what you want to do with it? I used to, when I was your age, Gianni, I used to walk into my office off of the couch that I was sleeping on and I would be like, say to my partner, Kenny, Kenny, we're millionaires. They just haven't paid us yet. And in <laughs> my head, I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted three things. I wanted a swimming pool. I wanted a fruit tree to grow my own fruit, and I wanted to be able to take a two-week vacation every year. If I did that, I was like, that was all I wanted. But it was specific. I knew what it was, and I knew what I was working towards. And it, it helped me drive me towards my goal. It's, it, it, it's shocking to me how many people don't have clarity. They're like, yeah, man, I want a million dollars. I want $10 million. Okay, what do you want with it? I said this to my friend. He goes, I would move to California. My friend, Brian, I said, Brian, guess what? He's 55. I said, Brian, nobody's wanting you $10 million. If you want to go to California, man, save six months of money and go to California. You don't even need the wire to hit your account. Like most of us can do our dreams now, you know, with a little bit of planning. So Rich, you know, it's interesting because we fight for this. And like I said, man, I'm a capitalist. I want to make money. I want more. We're all wired for more. But more isn't better. Better is better. More isn't better. Better is better. Yeah, everybody wants to do more and more and more. I want to run more, but just doing more isn't as good as doing, as doing it better. But Jesse, you do more and more and more and more. I do, but I try to do it at, at, at a level. I have, I'm in a different position. I have staff. I can hire people. I have assistants. I have bandwidth because of that, you know? But I don't sacrifice or compromise uh, quality because of, I'm trying to do more. If I'll do that, I'll just shut it off. But you understand the mentality still because you're still running and pushing yourself and pushing your physical limits. So you get the mentality and that mentality is never going to is going to leave you. The only difference is as I've gotten older, you know, the number one question I get when people ask me about business is about scaling their business. And the first question I ask them is why? You know, I even had this conversation with my wife talking about scaling and growing and I'm like, "Well, what's wrong with what you have now? Do it amazing. You have a great life. You know, you have a great so you know, our immediate reaction, Rich, what I'm saying is scale, scale, scale. But I'm not like that, by the way. 
you know, you would think because I'm doing all these things that it's like, I'm not, I'm not even trying to do all that. I'm not trying to acquire this or buy this company or build this or take over the world or own a nation. I don't, I'm not sacrificing my quality of life for more. And that's my point. So once I, yes, I'm doing more because I want to have this, a really full life. I want to milk life, but I'm not scaling just to scale. It's with purpose and it's without never going to compromise my run. I'm not getting out of the pool to go to a meeting for something just because it's more, 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 more. Yep. If that makes sense. It does. So before you go, I want to talk about sports um, and as it relates to your life. So for me, in one way, shape or form, I know at least that sports was behind a lot of things that I did in my life, whether it was being a bookie in college, right, which was the wrong way for it to manifest or um, doing the music on a show for ESPN. It was all in the name of the fact that I wanted to be around the world of sports. I think there's some ties throughout your career, the Knicks song. I know Marquee Jets was very um, connected to athletes and, and executives from the world of sports and coconut water. You continue to pull from the entertainment business connections and your sports connections. Um, was the dream ever to own a sports team or was the opportunity in front of you so good? Because for me, clearly like, and most of my peers, that's like end game, that's goal, right? Like you can buy a hoop team. Um, Talk to me about the Hawks and, and buying that organization and your excitement about it. Well, I've been around the NBA for years because I wrote the, the, a lot of the theme songs for the team for multiple teams in the 90s. I did the I Love This Game song for the NBA. Um, I sold my first company to David Falk. David Falk was my boss and Arn Tellum. I reported to Falk and Tellum in the early days. So I was surrounded by the agents. I worked with a lot of the players. I was filming them for the NBA videos. And I was doing the in-game programming for a lot of the teams as a, in my 20s. So I was very familiar with game operations. And, and, and then, then I was an NBA license. I was a licensee. So I've been around this for a long time. Um, and partners, partners with LeBron in projects, Chris Paul, Amari. So, um, and I'm a basketball fan. So you put all of those things together. And then I moved to Atlanta and... Um, I got hired as a consultant to the team. So I spent a year traveling with the team uh, before the sale. And then when the team was up for sale, I'd already fallen in love with the players, the city, um, the management team, the coaches. So I, I really put my hand up in a big way and said, I want to be involved in this and got involved with, uh, you know, this group, Tony Ressler and Grant and a bunch of my friends. And, um, and it's been amazing. But I'll, I can honestly say when I got to Atlanta and I went to my first Hawk game as a consultant, um, I went right to the end of the movie. I went right to the end of the movie. and I'm buying followed, the Hawks, right? Followed the script that we talked about early on. You know, I got to get in here. And I'll tell you, the script changed a lot. The plot changed a lot. That The process of the sale process of an NBA team is remarkable. It's actually could be its own episode of this of a, of a podcast because it's really fascinating and there's only one winner you know there's no second place um take us through the process give me a quick inside look at the process yeah so um well now it's a little bit different because now there's guys like bomber and other guys that could just come and take the whole thing out in one stroke of a check and, and annihilate blow up the whole process um but 
for the process with the Hawks was um, there were groups that were forming. There were different groups that had to go through a process and uh, you could commit and they all wanted me being in Atlanta and Sarah uh, to commit to their group exclusively. But I didn't really want to do that because if they lost, then I would be out of the process. So it was like it became a chess game. And then trying to figure out how to use leverage in this. You know, I live in Atlanta. My wife is a big business in Atlanta. I've already been a consultant to the, to the team. Um, I really know game operations and marketing. Um, you know, how do I kind of leverage all that? And it became a massive chess game. And plus, I'm not a banker. These guys are all Goldman Sachs executives and, you know, um, hedge fund guys and finance guys. I am not in that bucket. I'm a runner. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm scrappy. Um, I, I check all the other boxes, but like this is a box. So like I kind of ruined the whole process. I was like violating the rules. I didn't even know you can't call this guy, but I was able to to work it out. And at one point, I think I was in all three groups, to be honest. I like, you know, until until it was sorted out. It's wild. So is sitting uh, on the floor watching your own team play basketball does that feel some sense of uh, like brings a smile to you when you're sitting there with your kids knowing like 30 years ago you were trying any way to get on and the stories you've told us and the things that you've done, they took you in so many different directions. And um, it's incredible to see where you're at. Does sitting on the floor give you some of that? Like I did some, because you know you worked for that. You know, the craziest thing about it is, I, which I did not anticipate, is a much deeper connection to the community and the responsibility to the city, to Atlanta, and all the fans. I didn't even, that never came into my head originally. I was naive, I was, there was ego involved. And then all of a sudden, you see all these people standing up and high-fiving and it's emotional. And we have an amazing um, leadership team. Tony Ressler, his family has been, what they've done for this city. So I just feel very lucky to be part of it, you know? And, but I also feel responsible. You know, I feel responsible to the players. I feel responsible to the, to the community. And sitting in the seats, um, I feel lucky, man. It's the only way I can explain it. Like, just so ridiculously privileged to have this opportunity. My dad gets to watch the games. I get to call him. He's 90 after the games and talk about it. Every game's a Super Bowl for my dad. You know, um, we didn't make the playoffs. He felt like we, you know, we're the champ. We had the best team. In the it's just the whole thing is amazing. So, um, and it's it's. Um, I feel like I can be added too. So I feel like I, you know, I can be heard and contribute and and participate. So it's really good. Well, man, Jesse, I appreciate you. Um, very inspiring, and very. It's very motivating to know that some of the things that I still feel and I feel like I'm very much like you said in my prime and um, while I've gotten over certain obstacles in my life and I think I've learned a bit, I still have so much to learn and part of doing this podcast was to be able to pick up some gems like we've been able to do today and knowing that you still visualize and you still maximize and you still understand how important the journey and the chase is and the zest you live for life is really inspiring man it's been good and even just watching you through the gram i think some cold scary ass nights of covid i was like man jesse's running up this ridiculous hill again man i feel <laughs> all is well in life so i appreciate you coming on bro and i would just say this rich you know you know you have a job that all of us 
I grew up in Long Island. All the Long Island kids, all the New York kids, all the kids I went to summer camp with, we're in the same world. We're in the same universe, you and I, um, and the same circle. And you have that job that everybody wishes they had. And, um, and, and you've done a lot with it, you know? And um, it's not easy. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on you at times, you know, because it comes with a lot of responsibility. But I just want to say, as a friend, and I'll say it publicly, uh, you've used your platform in a really, really positive way. And uh, not just what you've done with the foundation with, with Katie and, and stuff that you do that people don't even really understand what you guys are doing, but all the investments, um, the, the, this, this platform, the TV show, it's all bringing the documentaries, it's all bringing to light stuff that's, I think, really impactful. And they say you find your true purpose when, you, uh, when these three things collide. When you figure out what it is you're good at, what you love to do, and providing a product or service that helps people. And you've really figured out what it is you love to do. You got unbelievably good at it quickly, and you've put out products and stuff that have helped people. So you really kind of, at a young age, found you know, the right lane and the purpose, and it's been fun to watch, man, from the sidelines as a friend, because you got the job that everybody wants. <laughs> well, I'm very honored to, uh, to have this job and to have the opportunity Kevin gave me and flattered for you to say that. And I know, gee, I told you this was going to be a good one, man. Incredible, man. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, Gianni, my pleasure, man. Thank you, guys. All right, Jesse. Talk to you soon, man. Okay, guys. Thank you.